This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. In 2008, a podcast was created with one goal. To bring Bat fans around the world news related to movies, comics, video games, television, merchandise, and so much more. And now, the Batman Universe Podcast has returned. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the TVU Podcast. I'm Dustin and BJ and Scott are with me this week. And we are back to discuss news and as promised we're going to talk about the Scott Snyder controversy. Uh, that's going to be a little bit later in the episode, but we do have some news. Um, if you haven't been around, uh, I mean, I'm sure if you're subscribed to the podcast, you probably have seen these other podcasts, but over the last two weeks, we did have some really cool interviews that Scott did. Uh, just want to quickly plug those and give a listen to those if you are interested. The first one was with Michael Uslin, uh executive producer on practically every Batman uh film of all time other than obviously the 66 film um and then the second interview was with uh dr travis langley who is uh the self-proclaimed superheroologist uh who he is a psychologist who talks a lot about superheroes as well as uh fandom and how psychology kind of like mixes with those characters and personalities that we see in a lot of really big projects like batman and Spider-Man and Joker and um, Stranger Things and a bunch of other stuff. So definitely give those a listen. Um, both of those uh, guests we're hoping to have again on the show again in the future. So if you do listen to them and you do have questions, be sure to leave those questions in the uh, post for the podcast. And we will, uh, when we have them back, we will try to get those questions answered. All right, so with that, uh, I want to pick up basically three weeks ago. The last time we were talking, we were talking about the Batgirl cancellation. And as you remember, the end of the episode, I was saying that there was going to be um, an investor call for Warner Brothers uh, Discovery, which is going, they were going to be announcing their earnings for the quarter. And we knew that there was probably going to be talk about the Batgirl film to come up. And I'm not even joking, I sat through the entire investor call. And the very first question that came up was an, an investor out of Germany said, uh, we've heard that Batgirl is being canceled. What's the plan for DC if, you know, a character like Batgirl can get canceled? And conveniently, I've got the clip. So let's listen to what he said. DC is, is one of the top of the list for us. Um, we, you look at Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, um, these are brands that are known everywhere in the world, and the ability to drive those all over the world with great story is a big opportunity for us. We have done a reset. We've restructured the business where we're going to focus 
where there will be a team with a 10-year plan focusing just on D.C. It's very similar to the structure that Alan Horn and, and Bob Iger put together very effectively with Kevin Feige at uh, Disney. We think that we could build a, a long-term, much stronger, sustainable growth business out of D.C. And as part of that, we're going to focus on quality. We're not going to release any film before it's ready. We're not going to release a film to make a quarter. We're not going to release a film under the focus is going to be how do we make each of these films in general as good as possible. But D.C. is something that we think we could make better and we're focused on it now. All right. So basically the gist of it was um, he, he was asked about D.C. and they was talking about the future of D.C. as a whole. And he basically said that they're working on a 10 year plan um, to set the DC universe up for the future because they know that the DC franchise is a major opportunity for them and they want to get it right. Um, he mentioned Alan Horn, who, for those of you who pay attention to entertainment news, you probably have heard his name in the past. He previously worked at Walt Disney Pictures and he was there for a long time, worked with Bob Iger, and he was instrumental in bringing Kevin Feige in and Kevin Feige was the one who kind of worked in, uh, obviously, is is the main producer for all of the Marvel films and the direction of everything that Marvel Studios does. So he specifically name-dropped Kevin Feige as well, knowing that they need to have someone in place to, you know, head up the area of the DC films. And he made a point to say that, you know, this is something that they really want to do and they want to get it right. Now, the interesting one comment is he did say at the end that they are going to be focusing on quality, not quantity. They're not going to be aiming to put out a movie every quarter just for the sake of doing it. Um, however, the really interesting thing about that is that also gives him an out for at least the next couple of years if there's no films because, well, if there's no films, we're working on quality, not quantity. Uh, we know the Joker 2 has got a scheduled date of 2024, October of 2024. Um, honestly, 2023 has Aquaman and Flash. We're probably not going to see anything else past that. Uh, there is no word yet on the, f the fate of Blue Beetle, um, but I imagine that is possibly still coming just because recently I remember... I think I just, and, and the problem is, I don't know when these set photos are taken, but there was a photo that just popped up of um, the actor playing Blue Beetle in costume on the streets. So either it's in the middle of filming, if they were going to cancel it, they would just cancel it and be done with it. They're not going to keep filming it and keep spending money on it. So um, who knows if, you know, what, what'll happen with that film is whether or not it'll actually hit theaters in 2024 or late 2023 at this point, who knows? But that's the plan. That, that That's at least the plan, according to the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, is that DC is a huge focus for them, and they are going to be working on putting together a team to run the division and put out quality movies and not focus on just quantity. Which they should be doing. That's what I think I've, I've kind of wanted for a while, just focus on making a good movie, and then we'll cross the bridge from there, like... 10-year plan, like, we've kind of all heard that stuff before, so I'm kind of like, just give me one good movie, another good movie, let's string together a few good movies. Because who knows when this 10-year plan starts? Does it start now? Is it starting after The Flash? So who the who the hell knows? I mean, you know, I think the hard thing is, is we've had, like, you know, we had a really bad start with the Nighterverse, 
you know, and and things being tied to that. And then there was this weird direction where we were distanced from that and, you know, kind of like floating in limbo. And we've, it honestly, like before, you know, this started happening, it seemed like they were starting to like piece scraps together and get, you know, like the whole franchise out of limbo, you know. And in the meantime, there was like this little like internet war and it seemed like somewhat of an internal war too of like, well, do we save the stuff we've already done, you know, in the whole, like, Zack Snyder vision, or do we ditch it? And it didn't seem like there was a consistent, clear path. They just kind of left it alone. So it's like, it's like, I like the idea of, like, a structure, but at the same time, you know, I feel like, you know, at least before the new CEO started um, axing projects, it, it seemed like they were finally getting around to having some sort of shape or, you know, trajectory going, you know, it may not have been an exciting one. I mean, having, you know, Michael Keaton, Batman basically be, um, you know, Bosley to everyone's Charlie's angels may not be the most like amazing idea in the world, but it seemed like they were finally starting to get that. And now I feel like we're back to, you know, square one again. So we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens, I guess, but that's, kind of where I land is it's a, it's a, a wait and see, but also, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think I'm tired of like this weird limbo. I agree. Um, I want quality. Um, I, as much as I'd love to have a ton of DC films all the time, I'd rather have quality films over the quantity, um, out of the stuff. And I, and obviously it's very easy always to compare Marvel to DC because Marvel is putting out a bunch of films is, you know, typically their, their films are doing very, very well, um, commercially. So it's easy to compare that, but I will say based off of the stuff that Marvel has been putting out over the last two years, or I, I go back even a little bit further and go to before the pandemic, to be fair, you know, the movies that they've been putting out, it's not that they're bad, um, but I don't think there is. They're not always high quality. They're they're good films. They they're well produced. They're you know they've got great effects and stuff. But it's not always necessarily a quality film as far as the writing goes and things like that. Um, you know I I just think about how the Batman was, or even going back to like Chris Nolan's trilogy. Those films they were written very well they were telling great stories and then you look at some of the stuff that marvel's done and there has been really good ones but some of them have not been so great some of them have just been you know almost like they're they're following a very specific pattern uh you know especially when they're introducing character new characters and things like that so i hope that dc gets it right and i or warner brothers discovery gets it right with dc because that will be beneficial to us as fans all right, the next news bit that we've got is there was some unfortunate news and kind of weird news also. Uh, so yesterday it was announced that uh, Warner Brothers Discovery is cutting even more content from um, HBO Max and specifically some projects that have already gotten series orders, have already been greenlit, and now suddenly they're no longer greenlit which is typically that typically doesn't happen very often, but there was a a slew of animated stuff that uh, was announced previously that was coming to HBO max. And in some ways also cartoon network that has now been completely put on hold 
to a degree, or they're trying to shop it to other networks to see if they can get some money elsewhere rather than having it in-house at their own streaming service and their own network with Cartoon Network. So the first one was Merry Little Batman. Now you may be thinking to yourself, wait, what is that? Uh, this was an animated holiday special that was going to feature a Damian Wayne Robin um, going around his house during the holiday season. Um, just basically like a you know like an adventure kind of thing. But there was not a lot of information out in this special. I randomly, I heard about this for the first time, I want to say probably just over a year ago. There was a slew of animated projects that were announced for HBO Max, and it just came up as like a title card and just a real brief synopsis of what it was, but that was it. There wasn't really any other information related to it at all. Um, and then the other major project was Batman Cape Crusader, which... I can't believe I'm even saying these words, but there might be a chance that that project never sees the light of day, which is crazy considering the talent that is connected to that project with Bruce Tim, Alan Burnett, um, Matt Reeves, J.J. Abrams. They're all producers and working on the show, and somehow that show is 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 that they've deemed it not necessary for their streaming service, which is strange to me because. You know, Batman sells. It always sells. It always does really well. That's one of the reasons why so many people are so frustrated when DC Comics puts out so many Batman comics and not a lot of other characters. It's because Batman sells. It always sells. So to have a series like Batman Cape Crusader, which in some ways, not necessarily a continuation of the animated series, but kind of like it's loosely connected because of some of the people that are connected to the project um, it's just mind-boggling that this isn't happening, or it could it might might not happen. But honestly, I have a hard time believing it could happen because I'm not sure which network. If they can't afford to keep it at their own network at Cartoon Network, which I don't blame Cartoon Network. Cartoon Network doesn't exactly have the greatest track record when it comes to DC shows in the past. But HBO Max, I cannot believe especially at least the success that has been told to us that Harley Quinn has had, that they cannot have a Batman series that could be successful on this, on the, on the service. I wonder, and this is, this is just like a thought that I had, you know, in the last 10, 15 minutes, because like earlier I was kind of baffled by this news too. Um, but I wonder if, you know, they're getting a new streaming service. So I wonder if they're looking at, like, a temporary, you know, sell-off. Like, let some network run this and give them, like, first rights for X amount of, you know, months, years, whatever. And then ultimately, you know, they're planning on bringing it back and dumping it on whatever the new uh, Warner Brothers Discovery uh, streamer will be. And it's just, like, a way for them to, like make some cash in the meantime with the intention of getting it back someday down the road. I don't know. Like, it's just, it's, it's just such a weird decision because, you know, of all the talent attached to it and like the other Matt Reeves news that kind of came out. Um, it's just, it doesn't make sense. And then like the idea that like, since it's a cartoon, you probably have, you know, a slightly different demographic watching it. It's not going to be like all the adults who went to go see the Batman or something. It'll hopefully be, you know, a little bit younger, um, you know, and that's usually like traditionally what kind of like fuels, you know, those merch sales. 
And then on top of that, we've also seen a lot of reports um, with kids' content at other streamers as kind of being like a bargaining chip that that's stuff that's very actively used by a lot of, you know, by basically an unseen demographic that nobody's really, you know, talking about openly. So it's just, I don't know, at the end of the day, it's like interesting news, but I do wonder if there's like a, we're not being told everything and that there's some weird thought in the background. I'm like, well, we'll sell this off for a year or two and then we'll get it back and dump it on, you know, TLC presents HBO Max or whatever the new service will be called. (laughs) Yeah, it was so. Uh, it was a bomb that kind of dropped. Like you read the headline at first, like, "Oh my God, they've done it again! They've canceled. Uh, they've got rid of Cape, uh, Crusader." And it was, I think, our last episode. I said, "Like, should we be worried about Cape Crusader?" And Dustin, you were like, "No, nah, it's Batman. It's Matt Reeves. It's Bruce Tim. Everything will be fine." But I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen because if Cartoon Network doesn't take it, where's it going to go? Who knows? Hulu, Netflix. I don't know. I don't know how any of this stuff works. Disney yeah. Plus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the crazy thing is, I, I don't know that we said that on the air. I think that might have been after the fact. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I did not ever in my wildest dreams think that this show would have any sort of issue staying on the service. But Scott, you're you're right to a degree because I think that probably is what they're hoping for, especially because it wasn't canceled. It was. It's just not going to the service. So my guess is that if it's not going to the service, they're looking to sell it to somebody else for a brief time or at least sell it to a service. And then like after the first season, then the episodes can be on, you know, the new streaming service that Warner Brothers Discovery has similar to the way they just did with uh, Batwoman and um, Superman and Lois uh, and Stargirl. That's another one. Um, They just did that where those shows the previous Arrowverse shows that they had, those shows had a deal with uh, Netflix where as long as the shows were running, they would keep being on Netflix. And then it's not until like four years after the show ends that the rights of the show revert back to the original holders, which would be Warner Brothers, and then they could put it on their own service. So when they created Batwoman um, back in, I think it was like 2018, I think it was tw- no. I think it was twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen at uh, in twenty nineteen when that was one of the first shows along with Superman and Lois that Warner Brothers had the ability to not have to have those shows as part of the deal with Netflix because they were new shows. So they immediately came to HBO Max as soon as they they were available. Um, so it it is it is entirely possible that that could still happen. The issue is that because it's an animated project, there's not really anywhere that could go. I mean, nowadays there's Cartoon Network, there's still Nickelodeon, and there's still you know Disney Channel, uh, Disney Channel, and Disney Junior and Disney XD, which are all different channels that are part of that same group. They are definitely not going to be you know purchasing a Warner Brothers. TV show to put on their service that features a superhero that has nothing to do with them. So there's that. Uh, Nickelodeon, I guess, is a possibility, but I don't know that they need you know that they need to do that either. Cartoon Network is is was part of the original deal, so they're not going. It's not like you know in the '90s where there was a bunch of Saturday morning cartoons where you could have one of the major networks like ABC or CBS or NBC or 
you know, um, or Kids WB back then, or Fox Kids pick up one of these shows. It's just it, it's not it's not like that anymore. The only shows that are animated nowadays that are on big network television series are like the adult animated stuff, like Family Guy, The Simpsons. American Dad, or used to be American Dad, Bob's Burgers, like those shows, they still have a place, but it's only at Fox. There's none of those other shows, none of the other, you know, major networks are, are having cartoons on their, or animated shows on their, on their network. So I don't know where this is going to end up. The only thing I could think of is if it ends up at a different streamer, um, it is entirely possible that Netflix could pick it up. Um, I mean, to a degree, Prime Video could pick it up. I mean, just just to put it out there, Warner Brothers Television still does produce shows for these other streamers. It's not like they're only in the business of producing stuff for themselves. That's one of the ways that they've always made a lot of money is by making shows and shopping them to other you know other possibilities. Television wise, I don't see it happening. It have to be a streamer just because of the costs associated with it. But it would be a big deal. I mean, Lord of the Rings is a big series coming to Amazon and that is a Warner Brothers series and you would think to yourself why would they have passed why would Warner Brothers have passed on a Lord of the Rings series when they could have put it on HBO Max and they didn't because the cost associated with it they can pass the cost off to somebody else and then still produce it and still eventually have the rights reverted back to them and make money on home video release and all of that other stuff so you know we'll that's see- what they did with Sandman right that's exactly what they did with Sandman, yeah. yeah, and that was on Netflix. So, yeah, it's entirely possible that it could end up, but I, the only place it could end up is it's going to end up having to be like Netflix or Prime Video because any of the other streamers aren't big enough. Any of the other streamers don't have the money to you know put towards something like this. So that's the only way it's going to end up happening is at one of those two, in my opinion. But you never know. Yeah, dark horse candidate Tubi. It won't. Be, it will not be Tubi. <laughs> Um, you hinted at the other news. I wasn't going to bring this up, but you mentioned it, so I, I just want to quickly mention it. Matt Reeves signed a new deal with Warner Brothers, a first-look deal for television and film projects going forward. And then also off the uh, that announcement as well, today as well, uh, Madison Tomlin, I, I, I'm, I think it's Madison, Madison or Madsen, um, Anyway, he was the one who came in and helped Matt Reeves work out the final, the third act in the Batman, and then he also recently did the uh, Batman. He did a Batman graphic novel or a mini series that released earlier this year as well, and uh, they sold it as the idea that he was one of the writers of the Batman. He, it was announced that he's coming back to help Matt Reeves with the Batman Two, so that's happening as well. So those are some little bits, little news bits. Um, not super surprising that Warner Brothers is trying to lock down Matt Reeves. He still he has plenty of other projects that he's you know he produces and things like that. But he's also not to the level of like J.J. Abrams or Steven Spielberg or Chris Nolan, where they don't have to pay an outrageous amount of money to have his talent right this second. They can get him while he is becoming much bigger and and keep him involved with the stuff that they've got going on. So there's that. Um, last bit of news before we get into the Scott Snyder thing is that um, there was a trailer released for Gotham Knights today. It's called the Villains Trailer. And just quickly, uh, I'll have a link in the episode description for you guys to check out the 
the trailer, but it was really cool because it focuses on a lot of like the big bosses that are going to be part of the game. And obviously, we've already seen you know a variety of different characters, but low level characters like there was hints at Professor Pig, and there was hints at electrocutioner and then obviously we assumed the court of owls was going to play a big role just because of all of the presence that they've had in the in the trailers up to this point but there's a number of other established villains that we've seen you know the big bads that we've seen that are also going to be focused they include um harley quinn surprisingly um i didn't honestly think that was going to happen with harley quinn popping up over in the Suicide Squad game that Rocksteady's working on. She plays a huge role in that one, so I'm surprised she's going to be here, but I guess if you don't have Joker, why not do Harley Quinn? Uh, there's Clayface, Mr. Freeze, and then there's also, they they showcased more of the Court of Owls, but specifically I, I, I watched it, and I swear I saw Strix, the female uh, Talon, and as well as the, uh, the Hulking Talon as well. So... Um, what do you guys think of the villains that they chose? Because I'm guessing these are going to be the, like the really big ones. I'm sure there's going to be other minor villains that pop up here or there, but knowing that it's going to be Harley Quinn, Clayface, the Court of Owls, and Mr. Freeze, what do you guys think about the picks? I mean, it, the Clayface stuff looked really good. I, it, it, you know, I, that was probably the most exciting. I mean, the Electrocutioner thing, it was like a blink and you'll miss it, you know, thing in the background. But, you know, Mr. Freeze, I guess, I don't know. What they showcased just seemed like a very techy giant spider bot, or maybe he's got one of those Halo Scarab things. Batman you know, Beyond, Mr. Freeze. Yeah. And like, okay, you know, that's fine, I guess. I guess you need like that villain. And then Harley Quinn, I think, like, I feel like they probably have to use Harley Quinn because she's so popular now. She's got to be like, she's like everywhere. You know, she's having I, her moment has been going on for a while now and just keep getting bigger and you know, not that that's a bad thing. I really like um, how she is in the comics and everything. But uh, I guess I was I wasn't like taken aback or anything by it. Probably, you know, the main thing that that I, I was you know surprised by pleasantly was Clayface and how much of it we got. Yeah, he looks like he's going to be a big uh, player in this game. He's in a couple of few minutes of footage. I didn't see Electrocutioner, so yeah, I guess it was a blink and you missed it. But yeah, Freeze, he's got his big uh, spider legs. He looks like um, the end of uh, the Wild Wild West when uh, Will Smith and uh, Kevin Klein fight uh, fight that. So that's what that reminded me of. But And he's got the massive Freeze gun. But yeah, it's like I wonder how integral to the story they're going to be because the Court of Owls seem to be the main overall bad guy and these are just kind of like the bosses you beat to level up. Yeah. Um, and and while not a villain, it was revealed that uh, Renee Montoya is going to be also in the game. Um, she's specifically taking the role of of James Gordon as commissioner, or I don't know if she will be commissioner um, in the in the in the game. But they introduced the trailer as her meeting the Bat family and saying that you know with Jim gone, she knew it was only a matter of time before she would have to work with them. Um, do you think there could be a possibility of um, Renee Montoya's question by the end of the game? I, I think that would be fun. Like I kind of, I don't, I doubt it, but I also hope for it. Actually, I think it'd be kind of fun if, throughout the game, occasionally you're being pursued by the question, and you have to like dodge her, and you know, hopefully not kick her off any rooftops or anything. 
I'm sure they have a uh, alternate skin ready for Renee Montoya's question where it's kind of she's all teched up too, like all the other ones. She has I, a crazy mask. The, the I will say the the insane suits. It's getting hard to like pay attention to who's who. Like when there was a scene where in this trailer where Batgirl's like walking towards like a cell and she comes across Harley Quinn. And I questioned whether or not there was actually Batgirl Barbara Gordon because I could not tell what version she was supposed to be. And it just, it, they are really, really hammering the idea of there's going to be a million suits for them, which, I mean, great. I know for a fact that this is just a way for them to make more money um, off of selling skins, but uh, I hope the main game just keeps them within their normal thing that's not constantly changing over and over again because that could get really annoying really quick for me. Definitely. It's just, let's just stick to the normal comic book like costumes you want to give them one armored costume i'll deal with that but yeah. it's, it's too much yeah i never was a fan of the armored costumes they just all the, t- the techiness kind of takes away like the i guess the, for a lack of a better word like the characterization of it you know like the their looks have a lot of character to it and this kind of just looks like they're blowing bruce's money you know yeah <laughs> All right, so with that, that's going to bring us to our main topic for today, and we're going to go back in time to July 18th when the Rolling Stone, um, they released a, a exclusive uh, article talking about how fake accounts fueled the Snyder Cut online army. Now, I'm not going to go through the entire article. I'm just going to give a brief overview, but basically what the article claims is that in the midst of the downfall of Zack Snyder's cut and the original Joss Whedon version coming out in theaters, there was supposedly a marketing company that was hired by somebody. They don't say specifically that it was, in fact, Zack Snyder, but there is implications that it could have been Zack Snyder. And he, they go on to say that basically this marketing company may have created the entire idea of restore the Snyder Cut or Snyder Cut, hashtag Snyder Cut, or whatever. And the, the idea behind that is that it could have been Zack Snyder at the, you know, at the forefront of all of this trying to get what he wanted from Warner Brothers. Ultimately, he did get what he wanted. He was able to release his film and... The, the article goes on to say that he ended up doing a lot more than what Warner Brothers agreed to, um, meaning that he got to put new footage in. He got to include Martian Manhunter, which was never intended to be in the, the film itself. And he was able to do a lot of things that he wouldn't have otherwise been able to do just because of the situation with the insane online army of, uh, let's put it, I'll put it as, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Split hairs here. Uh, online trolls is the best way I'm going to throw it out there because honestly, it got really annoying to a degree whenever you would try to read anything online about the DC universe, films, comics. It doesn't matter. For for years, all I remember seeing was the hashtags that were just annoying and quite possibly a bunch of bots. So what do you guys think of the idea of Zack Snyder kind of being the one who could have possibly been behind the entire movement? Kind of egomaniac move, I guess. You know, and and the hard thing is, is like I always want to give him the benefit of the doubt because while I'm not a Zack Snyder fan, I appreciate... He's like one of those directors that I appreciate he exists and... He has his style. It's not for me. 
you know, but it, I look at him the way I look at Boz Lerman, where he exists. I'm glad he's there. I'm glad people enjoy him, but not my jam. Um, but, you know, I guess it, the, the bot thing, you know, just it, to me, if he is behind it, it paints him in a more unsavory light for me, just because, you know, I like when he gave his speeches and stuff about his universe and the whole, like, you know, what his opinion on Batman killing and all that stuff. Like, I thought that was like misguided and like a little more edgelordish, but you know, I could deal with it. But the bot thing compared or paired with all of that, you know, kind of just makes me view him as a little bit more of a, I don't know, a little self-indulgent and, you know, just desperate to like, complete this his vision and you know like cater to his acolytes that really buy into his you know kind of sophomoric religious motifs you know it's so it's just i don't know i guess end point is i don't think it looks good yeah the best um line in that rolling stone article i was going through uh tonight to refresh my memory was says that he was uh lex luther behind the scenes and it made me laugh like he's a better Lex Luthor than the one he kind of put together in BVS. But yeah, on Zach's, like on his films, like his DC films, like Man of Steel and uh, Batman v Superman, like I get why people have criticisms of them, but I kind of, I like them. Like as the movie, like I'm a defender of the movies, not of Zack Snyder and like the whole bots and the trolls. Like that drives me crazy. And like as... Before this article came out, when it came out that that big like um, Oscars like stand up and cheer moment uh, that the Flash Speed Force won was all bots and that kind of made sense. And then this comes out now you put two and two together. I'm sure he was kind of pulling all the strings kind of just to get what he wanted, taking down whoever he had to. I I would not put it past him. Honestly, he does come across as the type of person who is all about getting what he wants and utilizing whatever he can to to get what he wants um and i say that because i remember at various points during the entire restore the snyder cut you know movement he would he would add fuel to the fire it wasn't like he was trying to you know be humble about the fact that everybody was trying to, you know, get the film back. It wasn't that. It always came across as like, hey, everybody, look what I've got. There's Here's a tiny taste of what could have been. And it always just felt like he was always adding fuel to, like, the people who were, you know, already his follower and already interested in what his cut could have been. But I don't know. Like, the fact... The, the 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 thing that I have such a huge problem with when it comes to this entire situation is it starts off with he left the film because of a family, uh, you know, a, a personal reason with his family. You know, if he was not looking to leave the film and he legitimately was planning on always staying in the, you know, staying and doing the film regardless of what happened in his personal life, that's one thing. But he went and did interviews saying that he was leaving because of personal reasons. And if deep down behind the scenes, Warner Brothers was legitimately trying to use the family situation to get him out. I mean, it's it's crappy, but I, I, 
I could see why they would choose to do that. However, him agreeing to do it is the other side of this, and that's the part that I don't understand. In the article, it talks about how after he he was leaving, he took a, a number of hard drives with footage from the film, and he 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 just he basically stole them because they were property of the the studio, and he took them for his own personal use, and that's where a lot of that unseen stuff that he was releasing periodically um, during the whole restore the Snyder cut movement was occurring. That's, you know, that's where the stuff was coming from was from these hard drives that he basically took when he left. If he wasn't being forced out and he agreed to leave, why did he take those hard drives? And why would he then also then tell everybody that he was leaving because of family reasons if he wasn't trying to save face? So my theory is that Warner Brothers legitimately was trying to get rid of him. He knew that, and the family situation came up, and it was like basically Warner Brothers like, we want you out, take the take, you know, basically bow out, resign, not resign, but you know what I mean, but like basically bow out, use your family as the reason why you're doing this because we need to go in a different direction, and maybe because of the family stuff he you know accepted it and was like you know what yeah maybe it is time for me to focus on my family for right now and <clears throat> behind the scenes that's you know he was content with doing that at the time but then as you know time progresses and he's not thinking about his the the family situation as much as it was maybe when it was presently you know when it presently happened Maybe he starts thinking about maybe I you know I could have finished the film. There was no reason I couldn't, and I, he gets mad at Warner Brothers, and that's the whole reason this starts. But I don't understand why he would have went along with it in the first place if he wasn't going to be okay with the fact that they were going to do something else, regardless of who they brought in, regardless of what ended up coming out. He didn't. Nothing happened until after the film released. It wasn't like anybody was saying, we want the Snyder Cut prior to the film releasing. It was like the film came out and he saw it himself, even though I know he had said multiple times that he had never seen the the version of the film that released in theaters, which I think is, is a bunch of bull. But um, I think he saw it and I think he he was pissed about the fact that it wasn't his vision. And I truly believe that he is entirely possible. It's entirely possible that he did this entire thing and orchestrated it. I mean, it's it's crazy, but it's I think it's possible. It sucks, though. It's just, it's kind of, it's such a babyish thing to do, too. Agreed, it's, yeah. it's not like, it's not like his case is unique. Like, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. You know, we've seen this happen to other creators or they were removed from things they were working on, even Batman-related. Let's just stick with that. You know, and, and like years later, sometimes they're a little bitter about it. We saw in a recent interview with Tim Burton, he was a little bitter about it, but you didn't see him like make this crazy campaign or anything. He just moved on to his next projects, and that was that. We saw it with Wolfgang Peterson when that director was going to do uh, Batman versus Superman in the late 90s when that movie was announced, and Wolfgang Peter Peterson was talking about developing that project. And then um, George Miller at one point was Justice attached League, yep. to do Yep, you know, and and Joel like, Schumacher did the same. Said the same thing. I mean, like the, the, every director, I think, has their issues. I mean, even looking outside of Batman, there's been a, there's been actors headlining films for Marvel that have been pulled. There's been directors who, in the middle of the project, they they decide to pull the director and change it out with somebody else. It's not something that's unheard of. They did it with the Star Wars films too. They've done that. Solo, yeah. solo. 
So, I mean, like, it's not like it doesn't happen. I don't understand why it just... in a normal situation, it would have never turned into this. You know, when they were making, let's let's just use the example of Solo. Uh, when Chris Miller and uh, Phil Lord were making Solo, and suddenly they're deciding, you know, somebody behind the scenes, producer-wise, was like, you know, we're not going in the direction we want to go in. We're going to shift everything up. They basically fire them, middle of production, and then they bring in Ron Howard to finish the film up. You know, Ron Howard... He's he's working on a film that he didn't really have anything to do with. He's just coming in to kind of like push this thing towards the finish line. I mean, to a degree, Joss Whedon was doing the same thing. I'm not saying that put aside, you know, the the the, the real life stuff of Joss Whedon and the kind of crazy stuff that he's done that's not exactly kosher, but put aside that stuff, you know, he was there to push the film forward just like so many other directors that have been replaced and, and their job is to come in and basically get the project to the finish line to get out in theaters. So, like, we don't see stuff like that happen. There's there, there's always going to be some animosity from the director who gets kicked off of a project. That's always going to happen. But it's how you deal with it. And this just comes across as, like, like you said, it's just it's childish. It doesn't make any sense as to why you would end up going this route. Is it really worth like burning those bridges? That's kind of what I wonder because now that you mentioned like directors that carries the finish line, you know, I'm just like old Hollywood, like one of the more prolific, like consistent directors that they used to lean on was uh, Robert Wise, who was famously kicked off of West Side Story because he was making it too cinematic and blowing through tons of money. So they brought on a musical director to finish it up, but like. That man's body of work and like his relationship with the studio that did it and everything like still continued and it was just a, a thing that happened that they didn't like it but it's it seems like you know the to handle it with some bit of grace and then you can keep your relationships and probably get to do the projects you want to do later on down the line you know it's not like an all or nothing approach I guess is what I'm getting at. It almost feels like there's been this situation recently um, where. Directors get big enough where they know that they, you know, when they have a project, it's going to be well received to a degree. And they get a little bit too full of themselves. And I think that they look at the situation and say, um, it doesn't matter that this is a film that I'm not paying to make. I'm having somebody else make this film. I'm just here as the creative person trying to get this film created. Um, And I think of a situation that just happened recently where I don't disagree with his reasons, but Chris Nolan, like, you know, very, very publicly was very against the fact that Tenet was going to be coming out uh, on HBO Max, or it was it was not going to be in theaters, uh, you know, originally, and then they, they moved it to theaters and they kept pushing it back, trying to hope that the uh, pandemic would be over, and then it didn't, and then it got released, you know, because he insisted on it, but then it did really poorly in theaters just because nobody was going to theaters it's not a bad movie i love that movie it's a great movie it's honestly one of my favorite chris nolan films past the batman movies and inception um but the thing is it didn't do well in theaters because it was just the wrong time and you couldn't have just held on to the movie i mean i say that but knowing what we know now it is possible that they could have held on to the movie you look at a movie like top gun maverick that they held on to for literally two years and then it ended up making an insane amount of money this this past summer. But, you know, I don't know if it would have changed. And 
Nolan was pushing for that movie to be in theaters and he was very adamant about it being in theaters. They did exactly what he wanted to do and then they, you know, 30 days later or whatever it was, 60 days later, they they pulled it and put it on HBO Max and he was not a fan of that and he, you know, at the time, you know, really really went in on how streaming was 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 going to ruin everything and then he very abruptly left Warner Brothers and now he's got a deal over at Universal and it's just you have to think about the larger side of it eventually you you don't want to get too big where you think you can do whatever you want because it's it's always going to blow up in your face somehow like every big director has a flop they always end up having a flop there's nobody who ends up being successful their entire career and that goes for actors too I mean it's just how it goes yeah, I think I think about like the whole Snyder stuff, like going back from 2017. Just all like all the time that like the studios wasted, like we wasted, like screaming about it, or like the Whedon cut, the Snyder cut. It's just so much money has been blown, and there's bots and Twitter bots. It's just a the story is like never ending. Like hopefully, like this story ends it, and we never have to like talk about it again. But give it a couple weeks, and something will happen. All right. Didn't it just it just came out today that um, the Batgirl directors said they went to go look for like their take their tapes or whatever, but Warner Brothers deleted that like right away or something. So it's like still coming up. Like everyone's like, that's why Snyder did it. Yeah. So yeah. So they, they did an interview talking about theirs, and they were trying to save some footage from the film, um, and basically Warner Brothers locked them out of the production. Uh, servers they couldn't access any of their content that they had filmed and I don't I, I get it I mean it's still it's one of those things where I, when you're paid to do a job you're paid to do a job it's not your project it's you're getting paid to you know help create that project you know the director might be a much larger role than the cameraman or the uh, you know the costume designer or somebody like that but they're still part of that creative element to produce that film. And ultimately, the film's not being paid for by any of those people. They're getting paid to be part of that that project. And I, you know, I, I hate to have to sit here and, like, say, you know, I get it. Warner Brothers, the big, you know, the big bad wolf. Warner Brothers, they, they're, they're an evil corporation and blah, blah, blah. But... I don't think that's really the case when it comes to something that they own. If they own it, they own it. You know, there's the there's a certain level of like creativity should be, you know, able to be expressed. But when you're working with characters that are, you know, tightly hold held and owned by a large corporation, you don't have the ability to do what you want. And you shouldn't have the ability to do what you want because you're not you're not the owner of that that property. The the studio you know, for good or bad, they have to make the decisions on whether or not the you know these character how these characters are utilized, and that's the thing that I, I I think a lot of people don't get is like if I got a phone call tomorrow to say hey do you want to write a Batman comic and then I go write a Batman comic and the comic is you know making bat and I say this knowing this has happened but you know you're a, you're a big star and you get to write a, a Batman comic and then you have Batman pee himself and while he's wearing his suit <laughs> you know it, it's it's an odd choice but you know sometimes and sometimes you could get away with that depending on who you are but there's a lot of people who like if you know they got a chance to do something and it was going to make the character look really bad and people were going to be upset about it 
you would think that somebody behind the scenes is going to have a problem with something like that, unless your name is Kevin Smith. But we're still waiting, we're still waiting for that part two of yeah. uh, that story. So never happened. Yeah. Release, release the white and guy part two. Hey, uh, Warner Brothers, if you're also looking for someone to pitch hit for a script, <laughs> we're here. I'm here. Yep. <laughs> All right. So with that. I know that the convers that topic wasn't uh, extremely long, but I also don't want to spend too much time because I'm hoping with this article and the fallout that has happened from it, I'm hoping that. Well, the one thing I will say, just as a final wrap up with this Snyder thing, is that to a degree, Snyder has definitely burned some bridges with Hollywood because while he does have a, a deal in place with Netflix right now. He's only making a couple of things here or there. It's not like he, you know, he has a major. He, he's producing a ton of content to begin with. He did Army of the Dead for Netflix, and then he produced that spinoff film from Army of the Dead. Um, that's it. I mean, he hasn't really done anything else. I'm sure he's working on other things, but like, he's not going. To, he, he's not going to probably have a lot of business with any of the major studios at this point which the best thing he can hope for is you know these deals with streaming services because they have no problem with the controversy that surrounds a lot of them because it's kind of what they they bank on is free publicity to a degree so with that uh we're going to wrap up that conversation and hopefully this is the last time we ever have to talk about Zack Snyder in my opinion because I'm honestly just I want to put that to bed and never have to worry about it ever again um so with that that's going to wrap up this episode uh, if you are interested in finding out all kinds of news or re- looking, checking out original content or any uh, all kinds of other podcasts related to the Batman universe when it comes to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, comics, and everything else related to the Bat fandom, be sure to check out our website, thebatmanuniverse.net, where you can find all of that and even more uh, than you could even probably imagine. Uh, we have weekly comic reviews every single week of a ton of the Batman comics that are releasing and all kinds of other content as well. Um, so check that out. If you are interested in fo- if you are interested in following us on social media, we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We have a Discord. We're on YouTube. You can check out all of our social links at the top of the page over at thebatmanverse.net. If you're interested in getting in touch with us, you can leave comments on this episode wherever you are listening to it. They'll, they typically always come back to us, or you can send us an email directly at tbu at thebatmanverse.net. And last but not least, I mention it sometimes, but if you are interested in supporting us, uh, we have a bunch of different ways you can support us, uh, specifically using our affiliate links over on the website. Uh, We have a Patreon where you can get uh, early access to unedited versions of our podcast days before they actually release. And we also have uh, a number of positions within our website and our staff that we're looking to fill. So be sure to check out the support TVU spots, which can be found at the bottom of our homepage. And uh, you can find all of the different ways you can support us over there. Outside of that, that is everything for this episode. Uh, for BJ, Scott, and myself, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Batman Universe Podcast. We will see you guys next time.